Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, hello, hello. It's Sunday night and this is the Football Social Daily Premier League weekend review show. And with the Premier League set for its final, yes, the last one, final international break of 2021, we here at FSD have made sure to cram in as much Premier League action as possible into tonight's show. Derby delights for Manchester City. That's obviously where we get ourselves kicked off on the show as Pep Guardiola's side hammered another possible nail into Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's coffin. 2-0 win for City at Old Trafford. We'll be discussing the fallout from that one and looking at the picture for Ole going into the international break. We also take a look at Liverpool's trip to London in our other game in part one as the Hammers ended Jurgen Klopp's unbeaten start to the campaign with a 3-2 thriller. That's all to come in part one. In part two, it's the Premier League return of Antonio Conte, but it didn't go swimmingly for him as Spurs drew 0-0 away at Everton and Chelsea stay top of the Premier League table, but they were held at Stamford Bridge by Burnley. Right, that's all to come in the first two parts of the show and then in part three, we wrap up the rest of the weekend action. It's 100 and not out for Arteta as Arsenal made it 10 games unbeaten, but... Despite that bit of positivity for Arteta, it is most definitely the end of the road for two other Premier League managers as the November Sackathon, or Sackvember, if you will, continued at pace this weekend with Daniel Fark and Dean Smith both picking up their P45s. Right then, plenty to get through on the show tonight. My name's Fergal Brennan, and I have to say, joining me, we have someone who only seems to come on the show when Manchester United lose. Unfortunately for him, but fortunately for us, because it's always great to have him on the show, it is the Stretford Paddock's Jay Motti. Jay, how are you doing? I mean, last time I was on, it was the the, the Scousers who just beaten us 5-0. Now it's City have beaten us 2-0. What, what's going on? <laughs> the, the, difficult, the difficult bit to judge here, Jay, is that we had Dave on in the middle. So it was all sunshine and roses, yeah. beating Spurs last weekend, getting Nuno Santos sacked. And that's classic Dave Scott move because he swoops in, nice guy, does the good stuff, and you get the difficult job. I know, I know, and it's, to be fair, though, I mean, I could have had the the Villa game or the the, the Leicester game, which is just <laughs> there's been a few defeats to choose from, so uh, it's not like the usual fair, is it? With United at the minute. <laughs> no, indeed. Uh, and joining Jay, we have someone who's definitely in a better mood this weekend: Manchester City fan and podcaster Steve McInerney. Steve, how are you doing? I'm great, mate. I'm um, I'm on cloud nine. You know, loving it. Manchester is very, very, very blue at the moment, and um, yeah, long may it rain. Indeed, indeed. Well, it did rain. It couldn't stop raining at Old Trafford yesterday. Both actual rain and metaphorical rain on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Jay, 
we are going to have to go to you first, just like we did with the Liverpool result from two weeks ago, because this is another dark day for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and for Manchester United. One of the big narratives before this was Ole's kind of fail-safe, his trump card, is that in big games, and particularly against City, he actually has quite a good record. Going into this, unbeaten in the last four Premier League meetings with Pep Guardiola, but despite all of that, despite the fact that this kind of felt like maybe if there was ever going to be a chance that Ole could turn things round, it all just fl- fell flat on its face. Yeah, did you right? You know, there was um, there was that that good record he's got against Pep Guardiola, and you thought, okay, maybe this this could this could help him. But we just sort of played into City's hands, and and you look at the times we've beaten City in the past, or got results against them. City have always had more possession than us. They've always had more of the ball, but we've been able to counter attack. We've been able to sort of let them have the ball, but not really have it sort of in too many dangerous areas. We've been able to contain them and hit them on the break with the likes of Dan James and Anthony Martial and Marcus Rashford. Obviously, Dan James has moved on, but we've got Jadon Sancho. Um, Anthony Martial doesn't really get a look in, but we've got you know other options, Cristiano Ronaldo, of course. Yeah, we, we changed it completely this time round. We had five at the back, three centre-backs. And instead of like letting City have the ball and then contain him, we let City have the ball and almost run riot. If it wasn't for David De Gea, it could have been a lot worse. And for me, the sort of the, the low point in a whole afternoon of him was when Kevin De Bruyne picks up the ball on the edge of his own box, goes on a run, falls over, gets back up and carries on his run with the ball because there's no <laughs> one near him. And I'm screaming, I was at Old Trafford, obviously in the Stratford, and what is this? We just didn't put any pressure on them. You see Cancelo having all the time in the world to pick out his cross for, for Monado Silva, who again is, is on his own, is the only one that fights for the ball. And it was just a bit of a shambles, to be honest with you. And coming off the back of the, the Liverpool defeat, where we did the same thing against Liverpool, we gave them too much space, we didn't show them enough respect, we didn't get tight on our men. It, it was just not good enough. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you know, you talk about him being under pressure for a reason, and these are the sort of results that... that when you when you when he does go when he does get sacked you look at it and go okay that was one of the nails in the coffin because you can't be losing five 0 to Liverpool and then two 0 to Man City and what pains me about this is it's just the lack of fight the lack of fight in the team and I'm not one of these passion merchants I've been on this podcast long enough you know me I don't like this whole attitude of you've just got to try harder and you've just got to show passion it's a basic argument that more often than not doesn't work but you want to see a little bit of a fight from the players. You want to see, you know what I mean? Nah, you want to see right, something. I've right. seen Bernardo Silva getting stuck in and players rolling around on the floor and moaning to the ref. Get back at him. Stick, get, stick a foot in if you need to. Show a bit of fight. And we're just sort of rolling over here against Manchester City at Old Trafford. It's not good enough. And what pains me the most is last week or the week before, you know, when Jurgen Klopp sort of said to his players, take it easy, don't get an injury. 5-0, you know, almost, you know, took the foot off the gas. We've seen a similar thing from Manchester City yes, um, on Saturday, sorry. They just sort of tune it up, comfortable, strolling about, keeping the ball, not really any dramas, let's not take too many chances, let's just keep it nice and tidy. And, you know, that sort of almost pitiful attitude at the end from Pep Guardiola towards Man United, almost <laughs> like they tried the best, like with some sort of kindergarten football team. It's embarrassing. Mate, he's saving Solskjaer. You're saving Solskjaer, clearly. You know, well, you any know more than two, he, he, he gets sacked. Even, so you know, I'm, I'm over a, it. I mean, that's a crazy sort of conspiracy thing, but you could almost understand it because, you know, if that's, if that's any, anyone else or most teams, you just go for it, wouldn't you? Just go, you know, make it four or five or whatever. And it's just horrible. It's horrible. I'm not going to, you know, I, I'm coming on here and I know Macca and I know he's going to, you know, wax lyrical and, and be full of beans and rightly so because these are the moments as a football fan. If you're a City fan, you're going to be happy about. But as a United fan, it's just awful and something's got to change and you know people look at the manager but also some of these players who in the Euros Luke Shaw, Shaberto, Carlos and all this nonsense Harry Maguire was in a team of the Euros you know at the end of it they don't look like the players they did for England they don't like the players they've looked for Manchester United and a new manager you know he can only do so much but these players have also got to look at themselves as well because it's just not good enough and looking at the team, obviously Solskjaer's coming for a lot of criticism and a lot of scrutiny in terms of the players that he's picked, the system that he's picked. But when you look at some of the situations, and, and you're not making excuses, and United fans are not making excuses, but there's almost this idea that there's not a massive amount more in terms of personnel that Solskjaer can do. No Rafa Varane this weekend, so Eric Bailly started, Victor Lindelof came back into the team, he missed the Atalanta draw with an injury, another injury to go on the list. Paul Pogba was suspended, so obviously he didn't feature against City. And yes, obviously there's always this focus on Fred and McTominay and McFred and the fact that it's not good enough, etc. But given the fact that at the moment nothing is going right for Manchester United, in terms of selection, there's almost not really much more that Solskjaer could have done. 
I have to disagree a little bit uh, with that, Fergal, I'll be honest with you, because it's just like, he decided to play three centre-backs. He didn't need to do that. And he did that off the, the back of a decent performance against Spurs and a poor one. OK, Varane got injured against um, Atalanta. I know we switched to about four, but he has got a different option there. We've got Jane and Sancho, who, you know, we've played counter-attacking before against Manchester City and had great success with Dan James. And I think Jane and Sancho is a far superior player to Dan James. Yet he brings him on when we're 2-0 down with 45 minutes to go. Yeah, yeah, he's an ex, ex, ex City player. He should have been up yeah. for it as well, Sancho, man. Yeah. Think about it. Obviously, against Man City, yeah. This, he would be looking forward to this game. Two nil down, season, but you know, you know 45 minutes involved. to go. Go on, go and turn his game around. Marcus Rashford, another one, you're bringing him on with half an hour to go. It's, he's got to be better than that, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And, you know, he's sort of. He made his sort of bed with with very by bringing him into the back three, and then takes him off at half time after he scored an own goal. That shows you that he made a mistake with his, his starting lineup. So I understand what you're saying, Rafael Varane, Rafael Varane, sorry, big player, Edinson Cavani, big player, Paul Pogba, big player. But we've still got options. We still had options on the bench. We still could have had a system that has worked against Manchester City in the past. And to surrender the midfield the way we did by going five at the back, to just leave Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva, two players who historically have caused us problems at Old. Trafford to leave them with so much space was criminal. Looking at the situation for United, this block of six games was always kind of used as a bit of an end of term report for Solskjaer and what United would do and, and obviously how long he would remain at the club and the returns not great, seven points from those six games, obviously defeat to Leicester, defeat to Manchester City and that hammering by Liverpool nestled in the middle of it. So given the fact that the situation with Antonio Conte has now been resolved, he's gone to Tottenham that hasn't really necessarily changed the pressure that Ole is under. Everyone's been operating under this idea that there's so many big games coming in such a short space of time. The board and Solskjaer and everyone needs a minute to take a breath and decide what they're going to do. They've got 15 days off now, but by the time we come back from the international break, Manchester United will have won just two games in the Premier League in the last two months. Is this the end of the road for Ole? I think so. I mean, I don't. The only sort of question mark is this board and the 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 they're so sort of dithering at times. Well, they they either go two ways. They either dither or they go haphazard and fire managers. You know, just after you've won the FA Cup or whatever. So you never know. But I I think that it looks like to me it's getting untenable. And the difference between now and sort of previous seasons, or whatever, is the fact in that dressing room you've got the likes of the players I've mentioned: Ronaldo, Varane, Pogba, Bruno. Are they going to sort of believe in this manager? Are they reply, responding to this manager? And they should be. You should always play for, for United, no matter who the manager is. But the, the, the sort of proof is in what you're seeing on the football pitch. And you're not seeing that. And I can't see they're going to they think they're going to be happy. So, yes, you're right about the sort of the, the names that have been bandied about in Manchester United. Are they available? Probably not. The likes of Ten Hag, is he going to leave Ajax? Probably not. Um, Luis Enrique, is he going to leave Spain? Not. Zidane's probably waiting for the France job. But I, I wonder whether United might look at it and go, OK, let's get someone in to the end of the season to can't believe I'm saying this in November, save our season. And then in the summer, we can try and, you know, get in an Eric Ten Hag or a, uh, an Enrique or whoever. Probably not Enrique because obviously the World Cup coming up. But whoever would be a bit of a better long-term option because at the minute, you know, I'll just end on this because I know we've talked quite a lot, but you got Ole Gunnar Solskjaer giving a, an interview yesterday where he's talking to the, the interviewer. An interviewer says to him, just sort of interrupts him and says, we've just had Harry Maguire telling us that, you know, the players didn't believe in themselves. That's awful, that. For a manager to be hearing that about his own captain, the man that he bought for 80 million quid and made captain in the middle of an interview after you've just lost the derby 2-0 at Old Trafford. I mean, it, it was just... This, I love Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, obviously, for what he's done as a player and I respect what he's done as a manager as well. Let's not just judge him on his last two months. But it's awful to see and something's got to change. Looking at City, Steve, obviously in terms of uh, performances and results and, and post-game analysis, absolutely polar opposite. Pep Guardiola was just very, very calm in his own uh, post-match interview, paid massive compliments to the players, praised them. And, and when you look at this performance, you look at the numbers, the stats, Man City leading in everything, possession, shots, shots on target, attacking possession, everything. And not just the, the basic numbers, but when you look at the game, every battle, every one-on-one -on -one battle, every tactical battle, every decisive moment, Manchester City won everything and, and as Jay said a few minutes ago you look back to when United lost to Liverpool Jurgen Klopp definitely put the brakes on and even in a performance like this this was still City in probably second or third gear and they were absolutely excellent 
Yeah, Pep's definitely save our souls, Scott, mate. Definitely, but no, either way, like in general, like um, yeah, I, I actually watched Guardiola's interview and obviously Solskjaer's post game, and the one thing that struck me was just the difference in in the two people, and I don't mean that if, um, in any other sense than just them as coaches and so on, and the confidence and the way that Guardiola talks about football, with all due respect, compared to Solskjaer, it's just it's worlds apart. It really is, and he was talking about his football philosophy during afterwards, and even my one of Man City's coaches shared the clip on Twitter as well because obviously he was he shows how much even the coaches you know buy into it as well and Guardiola talking about how you know how his philosophy about how the players you know almost run too much you move the ball and you don't move the players and so on and that kind of stuff and I, I remember yeah, Solskjaer being asked what to do and he kind of tell he doesn't really have a clue genuinely like um, he doesn't really know what he's meant to be doing right now and I feel just lucky as a Man City fan to have a manager and he's no he's not perfect no one's perfect but to be a damn close to perfect as Guardiola is I mean the intensity from the players at times I mean Bernardo Silva he's not a quick footballer by any stretch of the imagination he just isn't he's just an average pace footballer yet he was absolutely everywhere and when you've got that dedication um, and that alive and that sharpness and you marry it to David's uh, sorry Bernardo Silva's uh, immense technical ability and you, you well this is why we win games like this and and Jay isn't wrong either to talk about you know the lack of effort from the players and yeah they've had a few players missing but I think Jay knows and I think you probably know as well Fergal even with those players there they're still probably not going to work hard enough as it is anyway the, ta- the tactics probably are still aren't going to be there to make an impact anyway the result probably would have been the same if Pogba was there and Cavani was there or whatever other round simply because they wouldn't have kept the ball anyway because that structure isn't there and that organisation isn't there and I feel lucky I, I'm watching uh, a coach that even though he's won so much and even though the players have won so much over the past few years he still gets through to these players and he still makes them absolutely absolutely bust the gut for this team and that's what the best great coaches do and I, I'm witnessing a great coach and I know the other half of town and as much as I enjoy Solskjaer's United's failings I can still put my football hat on and go they're not witnessing that they're not witnessing a great coach they're witnessing a guy who's a pretty good people person maybe Solskjaer but he isn't a great coach and I remember three years ago having this conversation as well you know on this podcast as well um and it, I don't think anything's changed and I think you can see this world's apart and, but from a City fan's perspective um, that yesterday that that was you've got Gundogan this is genuinely a, a quote from Gundogan yesterday after the game and let me just quickly find it because it, it made me laugh and as, if I was a United fan I would have been genuinely fuming I mean you bear in mind this is the Manchester Derby way at Old Trafford and this is a quote from Gundogan really fun quite enjoyable um, you know what I mean this is not trip advisor sorry for the language but like it's Jesus not you know this is not reviewing mini golf this is him talking about an away derby and he says it was quite enjoyable really fun you know like this is this is how easy it was for him and this is what you're getting from the city players and it shouldn't be that away from him it should be a battle it should be exhausting and tired but the city players man they had a good time and i love that as a city fan but that says the difference between the two clubs right now doesn't it and when you look at this idea of a plan versus a no plan, a manager that's in control against a manager that's not in control, and you could see that in so many little idiosyncrasies of City's performance yesterday. And you just look at how Solskjaer reacted to the game. He made substitutions. Jay mentioned Bailly getting hauled off, Sancho going on, and then there just didn't really seem to be this kind of idea of how to do things. Van der Beek got thrown on, Rashford got thrown on. Man City didn't make a single sub in the whole game the last few Premier League games they've made very little changes to the starting 11 obviously Eimerick Laporte was suspended at Old Trafford yesterday that just shows again the polarisation between City and United and Pep and, and Ole but there is this idea that at the moment absolutely everybody in that City team is pulling in the right direction and they are just such a well drilled winning machine yeah, no, this is, this is this is what Manchester City do, you know. They are absolutely exceptionally organised. And um, I guess Guardiola, he, uh, they were talking about last night in the punditry as well, where I saw a match of the day when they were saying, like, Shearer was pointing out, like, quite literally, if you do not run, you will not be in this team. And you don't get any sense of that from Man United. I mean, this Guardiola doesn't really suffer falls. And, and even the other day, he dropped Kevin De Bruyne. I know Kevin De Bruyne has some fitness problems, but he put him out of the team because he's not been playing well. And that's Kevin De Bruyne. You know, that is the guy who's won the Premier League player in a row, two years in a row now. So like, um, this is this is what City are. They, they Every single player knows exactly what they do. And to be honest, we'll get onto him in a bit, but uh, we were chatting beforehand just off air. Like, you know, you, you watch like West Ham, we'll talk about it a bit, but that's a team that knows what they're doing and you always get a sense of a style with the successful teams you know exactly who what they're going to play and how they're going to play and all that kind of stuff whereas with United 
you don't get that sense really. You, you see, and even Solskjaer, I remember hearing him talking recently about, he was talking about Sancho's chances and saying how he currently doesn't really suit the free at the back thing. But even the way Solskjaer talked about the free at the back, he's like, yeah, right now we're doing the free at the back, but he probably won't be that for long. And like, so you just, he's always admitting that, that he's already going to give up a formation before he's even started using it. It's just, it, it reeks to me of someone who's just kind of making up as it goes along. Whereas the great coaches, they have a plan. They have a style. They have a you know a philosophy, and they stick to it. And that's what City are, and that's what they are. And I love it personally, but you know, it isn't <laughs> the painful thing about that is the lack of things I could argue with <laughs> with what Steve was saying. You know, it's, he's he's right about the plan and stumbling and and the, the worst part of the well, not the worst part. One of the worst parts of the weekend was Michael Owen afterwards was saying that sort of thing, and I found myself agreeing with Michael Owen where he was saying, you know, the the, the defenders aren't good enough, so you put an extra defender in there. The midfield's not good enough, so you put an extra midfielder in there. It's just not a way to, to, to manage a team. And no, it's yeah, not. And, it's reactive, and, isn't it? You no, know, if Oli is going to stay the manager or whoever comes in, we've got to find a solution to this before it unravels. It must be painful, Jay, knowing that if some of those players were on the Man City side, they'd probably be doing a very similar thing. Yeah, the, 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 the abilities, the, the abilities there. You know, these aren't bad footballers. They're not. It's just they're not. You know, look at little basic things like work rate and 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 um, and, and lead. I know this sounds big, but it's true. Leadership and just just a, showing that, and even that footballing intelligence at times, just to sort of game management. You know, seeing out the first half at one 0 Let's get to one 0 No, we concede late on in the first half because we switched off again. It's just not good enough on so many levels. Uh, we're going to move on to Liverpool. Give you a bit of a break, Jay, because you'll be pleased to know so, something to kind of balm your balm your troubled mind. Liverpool's unbeaten run so far this season is over. Three-two win away at West Ham. Jim obviously naturally will be absolutely delighted. West Ham now jump above Liverpool in the Premier League table to third. Liverpool slipping down to fourth. We can talk about West Ham in in just a second. But Jay, in terms of Liverpool and the way that they're playing, the way that they're turning in these performances, I said to Sam last weekend on the on the podcast that. As impressive as Liverpool have been so far this season, I do get the sense that they are just trying to out-punch the opposition. It's like a 90s heavyweight fight. Every game they go into, even if they are superior to the opposition, they now, I don't know whether it's arrogance, I don't know whether it's the defence still kind of bedding back in after Van Dijk had that bad injury and Fabinho missed a big load of last season with, uh, with various different problems, but they are conceding a lot of goals. And for me, again, that's what happened today. David Moyes kind of lent on a little bruise in their team and, and that eventually got them the win but Liverpool have got great attacking talent they've got defenders that can score goals based on Trent Alexander-Arnold's free kick today but this idea that we can just outslog, outpunch and outpower any team in the Premier League is not going to work and to kind of steal Steve's point a little bit it kind of reeks of a plan that's maybe not really being implemented Yeah, they have looked vulnerable haven't they Liverpool and it's, it's they're sort of a little bit in between where they were two seasons ago and last season, where sort of a couple of seasons ago they looked really solid defensively. Last season they're all over the shop. This season it's a little bit in between. I think they've conceded is it eleven. But you look at the, the, some of the games they've had: the Brighton game, the Brentford game, and now the West Ham game. The, the conceding goals that you know they wouldn't have been conceding a couple of seasons ago. I think Van Dijk looks like he's at times all on his own at the back. He, I saw him against uh, Mikel Antonio t- today again, getting turned a little bit, but he's not being helped out by was it Matip? I think he was alongside him, and they do seem a little bit all at sea. And when we were talking off air about it, you know, when your manager's coming out and he's making not no excuses, but he always has this element to him, Klopp anyway, this sort of anger, anger when he doesn't get a result. But talking about VAR and, and decisions and that should have been a red card and that should have been disallowed. And OK, he might be doing that publicly and saying something different in the changing rooms, but he's got to be looking at those defenders and thinking, you conceded one corner in the first half and then you conceded another one in the second half by not doing your jobs properly. It's just a bit sloppy. And, you know, you go back to those teams years ago, Kevin Keegan at Newcastle, you can be gunko and score loads of goals. But you don't win leagues unless you've got a solid defence, unless you can grind out those those one nils and, and do the sort of the, the, the gritty results away from home sometimes where you just got to muck in and get the sort of the, the scrappy one nil or whatever. And I don't see that from Liverpool at the minute. I know before any scouts have started me, they absolutely dominated us and tore apart and I get that. But they have dropped some points that perhaps they shouldn't have done. And the game against West Ham today, West Ham had a game plan. They, they were they were sort of pretty tight. Rode the look a little bit. We'll say look, but you know you know sort of weathered storm a little bit. Managed to get a handle on Mo Salah. Crowded him out. He looked like he had about five men round him at one point. But that's what they needed to do. Worked on the set pieces. Mikel Antonio at times was on his own, but I thought he absolutely worked his socks off and did a really good job. And they, they were good value for the win in the end. I thought they deserved it. 
Looking at the tannic system, Steve, that, that Klopp is trying to employ, and we talked about these players that have come back. Fabinho, Van Dijk obviously missed big stretches of last season. When you watch Liverpool play now, is it that Klopp is saying to the players or the players are saying to themselves that because they have been so good and so watertight in defence and in defensive areas that there is maybe a bit of overconfidence that each individual will just do their job. No striker will get past Van Dijk. No winger will be able to uh, get past Robertson if he covers. No number 10 will get the wrong side of Fabinho. They do seem to be backing themselves, but not really necessarily backing it up with performances. Um, yeah, I think they're definitely leaning a little bit into, into the individual quality at times. I don't. I've got, Liverpool are a very good side, don't get me wrong, but uh, they don't look as cohesive a unit as they did two or three years ago. And I think there's a, 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 a myriad of factors, really. I think I, this is a controversial opinion. I don't think Van Dijk's looked quite like himself since he came back. And I'm not just trying to put my Man City hat on here and say that, but I honestly don't think he looks quite as imperious. I mean, he looks good, don't get me wrong, but he doesn't look like this one guy who could sweep up everything that he used to. Um, and that's obviously understandable. He hasn't played an awful lot of football still post his injury so maybe he's just taking a bit of time to get back but having said that I, I also don't think the midfield is functioning quite as well you know like um, you've got to bear in mind you know like Wijnaldum at one point was a big part of that energetic midfield you know all action all press and they still got obviously Henderson and Fabinho and so on um, but I don't think he's functioning quite as well and, and I, I don't think Diego Yotta as good as he is is quite as good as Pete Firmino a couple of years back in terms of I know he was a defensive forward so to speak whatever that meant but he did it better he did it a little bit better and you know they were so aggressive from the press from the front it's a whole team thing you know and you got to bear in mind they still press but Mane and Salah they're definitely getting a bit older and I, I honestly feel like this is a team doing a very good impression of the team from two or three years ago probably being slightly propped up by Salah's brilliance at times um, and that's fine because it'll get them through a lot of games but you've only got to look at the stats once again you know and Compare the goals conceded to City and Liverpool for, City and Chelsea sorry for example and that they are you know they've 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 conceded um, 11, sorry, 11 goals compared to, say, Chelsea's four and City six. And obviously, they've scored an awful lot more than some of the teams as well. But, you know, it's, it, it is costing them. And there, there is, there is re- in my opinion, reasons for it. And I don't think they're quite as collectively uh, solid as it used to be. I think the press isn't quite as strong as it used to be. And the City pressed it around the press an awful lot easier than they did in previous years, you know, which I think to me was kind of telling. Uh, looking at West Ham, obviously, Jay, Jim will be dancing on the ceiling tonight, up to third in the table. They're doing brilliantly in Europe and in the Premier League. And sorry, Steve, obviously in the Carabao Cup, knocking out Manchester City, yeah. unbeaten in seven games. And and when you look at the kind of narrative around West Ham at the start of the season, the big question was, how are they going to deal with Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday with the, with the Europa League? First two games of the season, the game after they lost, they lost to United after playing Dynamo Zagreb, and then they lost to Brentford after playing Rapid Vienna. You flip that round as we move into the autumn and it's gone completely in the opposite direction. Beat Spurs after beating Genk, drew with Genk midweek this week and now they've just gone and turned over Liverpool uh, back on home soil at at the London Stadium. And we talked about systems and and players knowing every inch of the job that they have to do. West Ham are not Manchester City or Liverpool, we know that. And we don't know how long this string of form is going to go for them. But at the moment, man for man and system-wise, they're as good as anybody in terms of implementing that system. They are, and that system's worked. And, you know, they had a, a, a great spell last season. It didn't quite work out as well. At one point, it looked like they were going to make the Champions League. But they can learn from that. They can grow from that experience of being near the, the, the sort of the business end of the table. And they've got some, some quality players. They've got a manager, obviously, David Moyes, with loads of experience. And once you add a little bit of belief, when they stay start, these results keep going, and you think, hang on a minute, you know what? We are better than some of these teams in the sort of the so top called top four race we can obviously go toe to toe with the likes of of okay albeit in the in the cup but Manchester City again you know Old Trafford again in the cup beating Man United in the league beating Liverpool these are big results and you're looking at that and you're getting that belief you've got some real quality there you look at Declan Rice who's having a fantastic season I think they've got other players that perhaps almost go under the radar a little bit Ben Rama's a quality player Bowen I always think is, is useful those players you know doing their jobs you're going to get results and I think that at the moment it's, it's going well for a reason they're all working together he doesn't change the team that often does he I think they have the same sort of similar team most weeks week in week out and it's working for them and I think if they don't lose anyone sort of long term or for a big chunk of the season one of the key players you know if Antonio stays fit if Rice stays fit for example then who knows because at the minute you're looking at that top four and you go City Chelsea Liverpool I don't see them dropping out of that. I think that they're going to be in it. United are all over the place. Arsenal, you know, had that awful start. We've got their act together. But my point is, there's a space there in that top four that's up for grabs. 
And that, that, that could be West Ham. I don't think that's beyond the realms of possibility at all. They're sat in third and they played some good teams. It could happen. I think yeah. it's definitely possible. Definitely a man. Like the, the thing is, we often, we often forget like the difference in quality between most Premier League footballers is relatively. You know, there isn't much in it. You know, there isn't really. They're all capable of doing really similar things. But the ones that obviously see are usually the ones that are more consistent and make less mistakes. And and you usually make less mistakes when you're exceptionally confident. And you're organised and you know your team. And right now, West Ham are that. They are exceptionally organised. They know exactly how they're playing. They all trust each other. They've got a manager who's instilled belief in them right now, and who's obviously having a little bit of a renaissance himself as well. And this is a West Ham side currently. They've been doing this not just this season, last season as well, of course. And this is this is not a flash in the pan right now. West Ham were good last year as well you know and um this is a team that's just at some point we've got to go this is just a really good side you know and they are a good side okay maybe they don't have the quality to get there in the end but they're definitely capable of doing it you know and i, I think um given that other teams around him, you know, for example, you know, United are slipping a bit right now. I'm sure they'll get it right eventually, United, but there is that spot to be aimed for. I do expect City, Chelsea, Liverpool to finish above them, of course, but, you know, if United are in turmoil, Arsenal are inconsistent, you know, they're still there and Spurs, I don't know what Conte will do there, but why not? Why not believe it? You know, stranger things have happened. Leicester aren't exactly setting the world like this season either. West Ham are a good side playing well with a structure and organisation that is getting in the results that they deserve right now. So definitely believe it. Yeah, long live the positivity for West Ham. Jim, if you're listening to this, make sure you're sitting down. We don't want you having having a heart attack. But, you know, you never know. Maybe keep Tuesdays and Wednesdays free next season, right? We're going to take a quick break from a man who is still somehow manager of Manchester United to a fella who we all thought was going to be manager of Manchester United. Antonio Conte kicked off his return to the Premier League in pretty low-key style. Nil-nil away at Everton and Chelsea remain top of the shop in the Premier League, but they were forced to struggle to a one-all draw against Burnley. We're going to be covering both of those games in just a second. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. And just a quick reminder, if you're a fan of the podcast, if you're a regular listener or if you're a new fan to FSD, if you click subscribe on this episode, you can get a brand new podcast every single day. We are your only daily Premier League podcast. Every 24 hours, a fresh show on the English top flight. Right, let's get back to this weekend's action. Jay, Antonio Conte, obviously we were joking before the break that he was linked with United. He didn't take the United job. He's taken the Tottenham job. He's only been in, in situ for about four or five days. He did take charge in midweek uh, for the 3-2 win over Vitesse Arnhem in the Europa Conference League. But Premier League return away at Everton this weekend, all eyes on Goodison Park and how Conte would settle in. And it all just felt like a bit of a damp squib. No shots on target, nil-nil. And based on the balance of chances, they possibly could have got turned over by Everton. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those, the sort of proverbial uh, last match on match of the day tackle, isn't it? When there's, you know, a nil-nil with two shots on target throughout the entire game. Um, I don't, I mean, it's going to take a little while in it for Antonio Conte to even begin to implement his, his his style and his system and get to know his players and, and work out who he can rely on and, and who he can't. So I wouldn't look too much into this. He probably, you know, I know the performance isn't there, but probably, you know, a point away at Goodison is a, a decent enough start for him in the league. I know he got that result against Vitas, like you mentioned as well. I mean, I don't want to state the obvious, but for me and Spurs, you know, if Spurs are going to have any success under Conte, then a big part of that's going to depend on Harry Kane and what's going to happen with him. Because I know he scored goals, he scored goals for England, he scored goals in Europe and stuff, but in the Premier League, he's not been himself. And it's, you know, is he going to stay for the season in a years? Can he rekindle the form that we've seen over the past few years? And if he doesn't, how does Spurs cope with that? Because I think it's going to be very difficult for Antonio Conte. He's obviously a talented manager. We won the Premier League. I think his, his points per game ratio or whatever is one of the highest ever in the Premier League not the highest or something like that so he knows what he's doing but it's all about his players and, and, and who he can rely on and who he can trust to get out of it because you know Jose Mourinho went in there with this reputation everyone thought he was going to turn it around it, it didn't work out for him I know Conte's had more success of recent years than Jose Mourinho has but it's not that a million miles apart so yeah I think it's one of those games where they get a point nothing really you know nothing really to shout about 
But the one plus in the comma is Antonio Conte is getting to learn his team a little bit better. He's getting to learn about them in the Premier League, what they're about, and then he can build on that. They've got a break now, obviously, with the international break. When they come back, I, I expect to see a, a more of a Antonio Conte type of Spurs team because he'll have had that little bit of time to analyse what he's seen and work out what he can and who he can rely on. Obviously, looking at the situation, Steve, with Conte, as Jay mentions, he comes in with this record of, of winning things. He won the title with Chelsea, won the title with Inter Milan. Obviously, that ended a little bit sour, and he's he's now taken up this job at Spurs because he wants the challenge of, of getting them to the top table and, and winning a winning a major trophy with them. And as we say, this weekend is it's difficult to gauge much from what was a pretty drab game, but he does have a long to-do list. He, Nuno Santos obviously been moved in and moved out super, super quick, and now he's taken over um, the top job at, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. What is on his to-do list? Because Harry Kane's obviously going to be a big focus, but there's a lot of things that Nuno Santos just didn't really seem to be able to get a hand on. What's the key things that Antonio Conte needs to get sorted straight off? Well, I was I was um didn't I was reading a really fascinating piece about Conte and his methods and all this kind of stuff. And the first thing he's going to do, he's he's going to um, be incredibly strict about things like their diet and so on and the fitness. He's an absolute fitness freak. He puts the players like he's known as being a bit of a drill sergeant, and the, the players apparently are exhausted and destroyed by it. And this is also probably why it burns out after a couple of years. Well, but what he will do initially, he's he'll have the players working intensely hard, you know, changing the regimes and all that kind of stuff. And I think we'll probably see a little bit of drabness initially while the players are probably going to be exhausted from the methods for a while but then he'll get the players he'll, he'll work out who the players are going to be on his side you know so if you get a manager who's coming in he's going to want the players to be leaner fitter sharper and that's what he did a lot for them um he'll find out the ones who react well to that and he'll essentially get his soldiers you know in order and all that kind of stuff and I, I think Conte's a fantastic manager he's explosive and you know controversial and all that kind of stuff but um, he does get results and, and I, I was kind of hoping he didn't go United and that hasn't happened because I do think he'd make a difference over there and um, Spurs have got got quality you know there'll be certain players that will really benefit really benefit from someone um, like Conte and I think yeah that's what he'll do initially um, work out who the ones that are lacking fitness who aren't running enough and there's so much to his game is about running and all that kind of stuff and obviously they've got the natural talent anyway people like Son and Kane and people like that um He'll get those on his side first, I reckon, and work out in the dressing room where the weak links are and all that kind of stuff. And they'll, they'll improve. It'll take a bit of time, but they will improve because he's a serious manager and he'll get the best out of them. Flicking across back to Saturday's action, Chelsea won, Burnley won. Jay, as you mentioned, Chelsea are still top of the Premier League table as, as the weekend wraps up, but three-point lead over Manchester City going into the international break. And Thomas Tuchel spoke at the end of the game and he, he kind of was quite magnanimous about the situation, saying that he couldn't really have asked much more from his players in terms of what they gave and the performances. They just laid them, left themselves vulnerable in the last 10 minutes. And against a team like Burnley, there's always that threat, set piece or a knockdown in the box that they can pinch a goal and pinch a point. And, and that was exactly what happened. But you look at Chelsea, we talked about Liverpool before, maybe backing themselves a little bit too much in, in defensive situations. With no Romelu Lukaku and no Timo Werner, there's been a lot of attention placed on the other players to rack up those types of goals. For Manchester City, that's fine because they've got players that can just score goals on tap. But what we've seen a few times with Chelsea, with Werner and Lukaku out, is that they don't necessarily have as much of a killer touch. Yeah, I think that that's a, a, a fair point. And, and, you know, you saw it with the, the game against Burnley. I think they did have 25 shots or something, um, which is quite a lot. In total, yeah. yeah. And then four, 20, well, 24. Sorry, 24, and I think only about four of them on, on target, 70% possession. So they had loads of the ball. They had quite a lot of shots. But again, not really sort of testing uh, Nick Pope too much, which will be a, a little bit of concern because, you know, if you win the league, you need a squad, you need other players to step up. I thought um, Tuchel was very good at that last season when he came in, of sort of mixing up a little bit. And because he wasn't beholden to the players that Lampard had signed, he was happy to drop certain players and, and give other players a chance. Even, you know, at one point, he, I think it was it Hudson Odoi, brought him on and took him off again, showing the ruthlessness that he has there. Um, so he, he's got that side to him. But I think with this with with with, with this game in particular, you know, Tuchel was quite sort of generous as way he said he didn't seem angry, but he will be giving his players, I, I imagine, a little bit of a kick because it is yeah. two points dropped. Burnley at home, let's not kid ourselves. Chelsea have been flying, Burnley have been struggling. You've got a you know a team that are in the relegation zone, and you're top of the league. You expect to beat them all day long, so he's going to look at that two point two points drops. He might be saying one thing in front of the cameras, another thing, um, but I wouldn't be too sort of. You know, worried if I was a Chelsea fan because 
they have still got a lot of quality there. They've got those players to come back. My main thing with, with Chelsea is I said this sort of when it when it, it happened, and people might think this is crazy, but I'll be interested to see whether Romelu Lukaku can win a Premier League title for him because my memory of Romelu Lukaku isn't the player you saw at sort of at Inter. It's at United, and a lot of the times in the big games as well, he just didn't turn up. And he seemed to do it in fits and starts. And he's had a little bit of a sticky spell as well at Chelsea already this season. So it'll be interesting to see whether when he's if he's fit and he's their main man, whether he can spearhead them to a title. Because we know defensively they're solid. It's just that at the other end of the pitch. So yeah, it's one of those days where it didn't quite happen for him, but it's not too worrying, I don't think. Not yet anyway. Lukaku's an interesting case, Steve, because obviously he's had this issue with injury and he's not in the team at the minute. We expect him to be back either immediately after the international break or, or not too much longer after that. Start of the season started well, scored against Arsenal to, to kind of reopen his, his Chelsea Premier League account, but just three Premier League goals. He's got one in the Champions League and yes, injuries have, have impacted that, but Jay is right. You look at his time at Inter Milan and you would say, hands down, he's a world-class finisher. Get him in. He's an automatic 20, 25 Premier League goals, but the practicalities and the reality of getting those number of goals as assured as we can all be and, and as positive as we can all be about Lukaku getting those numbers of goals season after season after season and winning major titles is very very difficult and there's very few players in the Premier League that do offer that kind of gold standard guarantee yeah I mean I'm personally I, I think even I think Lukaku does offer that I mean even at United he scored 27 goals in one season when he wasn't playing well so I think Lukaku he, he is a goal scorer regardless of his form of fitness he does tend to score him yeah he's he started pretty well then went a few games without scoring of course um and they will benefit from him coming back. There's absolutely no doubt about that. You know, I mean, even if he's not perfect, he's still a damn sight better than you know than the current options up front. So um, that'll benefit him. I mean, I, I personally think like Chelsea. I know they played well, but I do think they probably rode the luck a couple of times where teams against them, Brentford, for example. You know, Brentford should have got something from that game. Uh, they were battering Chelsea at the end of that if we're being honest as well I think it might have been Villa as well and correct me if I'm wrong there but I feel like Villa did pretty well against mm. Chelsea as well at one point Is it, was it Villa? I think I feel like it yeah. was that's top of my head but um, so Chelsea like um, they're a very good side but I, they're, they're, you know they haven't been impenetrable they haven't been perfect and I feel like you know obviously they should have battered Burnley they were out in front but um you know these little things they can feed into caution they've had a cracking start to the season don't get me wrong but you know um there will be they'll be a little bit anxious you know because when you start to miss chances it does affect you um but they they'll probably be okay they'll they'll definitely be up there at the end of the season but the next game for them is really interesting you know Leicester haven't had a good start to the season but Leicester away Chelsea you know they got United coming up they won't be too worried about that right now <laughs> I wish I could argue um, that one, but yeah I'll take him take him in medicine but, severely but, today yeah, but either way, I mean, let's be honest. You you, you got United have had a few bad results. That that could be, you know, Solskjaer does pull a result out of the, out every now and then. And Chelsea probably look at that and go, I kind of wish they hadn't played City and Liverpool first because you know at some point you think they might react to it. They might not, but it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. Basically, I think they've got West Ham coming up as well. It's going to be a really interesting few weeks for Chelsea to see how they deal, you know, um, with this like winter period, and especially if Lukaku doesn't quite find his form when he comes back as well. It'd be interesting. Jay, just quickly before we take a quick break, I want to ask you about Burnley. Obviously, get themselves a point at Stamford Bridge and they got themselves the first win of the season last weekend against Brentford, but it's still all very stale. They're drawing a hell of a lot of games. Just looking back over the last month or so, they've got seven points from the last six Premier League games. And talked about Lukaku being a kind of guarantee of X amount of goals. There's always this assumption that assumption that Sean Dyche just guarantees safety. It might not be pretty, might not be exciting, but... It's not great. They just can't really seem to, to kick themselves into gear. We we normally expect Burnley to have a bit of a slow start, but eventually they start spluttering and getting a bit of momentum and, and a few tough wins uh, together. And that's just, just not happening. And then you look after the international break, they can make hay, but they're, they're just in such bad form that you, you would worry and say, if they get sucked down into this and other teams get a bit of a lead on them, can they drag themselves out of it? Yeah, I mean, like you say, it's not been great, but on the, if you're looking at the positives, they can say, you know, we've gone and got a point against Chelsea. We have had a, a win. Um, was it was it Brentford? Sorry, the, the Brentford yeah, last weekend. The, yeah. the win that, that they had on there. So it is a little bit of something to build upon. They've also got that experience, not just of Sean Dyche, but of some of the players as well. who have obviously been in the Premier League for quite a while. So it's not, you know, I don't think it's too bad. It's just like you say, when it starts sort of carrying on and on and you're still in the bottom three, that's when you start to worry. Norwich and Newcastle have struggled. We know Newcastle have obviously got all that money coming in. Norwich have recently just got their first win as well. But looking above the, the teams above um, above Burnley, 
Watford's sort of wasn't even a renaissance, was it, under Ranieri? That little bit of a bump they've got seems to have ended. Villa are obviously going to change the manager and, and Leeds, you know, the Bielsa, everyone loves Bielsa, don't they? So, do, do they get sucked into it? I don't know. <laughs> That'd be the, the, the main worry is I look at, you look above Berlin, you think, OK, there's, there's teams there that, yes, we can catch them, but there's a couple of teams there that are either making changes or have managers that you rely upon. So, it is going to be a little bit difficult, but push comes to shove. I think Burnley will survive. I think Sean Dyche has got enough in him and I think they've got enough in the squad of experience and, and quality there as well to do it. And I think that whilst Burnley, you know, we were in the Europa League not that long ago, they're not going to be over the moon of just surviving. I think that it'll, it'll do them. Do you know what I mean? Especially if Blackburn stay in a division below them because I know what the East Lancashire rivalry is like. And I think there's always an element as long as Burnley are doing better than Blackburn, they're happy. Yeah, indeed. Right, we're going to take another quick break. After the break, we're going to be wrapping up the rest of the weekend's action. Still another six games to pile through. Some big, big important wins. Arsenal making it 10 unbeaten. But Daniel Fark has proved at Norwich that even if you get your first win of the season, you can still get yourself the sack. We're going to be talking about all of that in just a few seconds. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. Already four games ticked off so far on the show. We've looked at the Manchester Derby as Manchester City powered past Manchester United at Old Trafford. Liverpool's unbeaten run in 2021-22 is over after they lost at West Ham. Chelsea held at home to Burnley and welcome back to the Premier League for Antonio Conte. Here is a nil-nil, a perfect fitting Premier League presence. Right, we're going to talk about the rest of the games this week. Steve, I'm going to go to you first on this because I always know what Jay's answers about Arsenal are. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to throw this across to you because I know there's a little bit of Mikel Arteta affinity, or I think there's a bit of Mikel Arteta affinity between between Can't stand the guy bet- no, between the two of us. Wow, my heart my heart just sank there for a second, uh, mainly because I thought I was going to have to throw the question to Jay. One um, nil at home to Watford, not exactly the most thrilling performance, but nice and solid, nice and uh, kind of consistent for Arteta. Hundred games on the board for him now, which actually shocked me before the game even as an Arsenal fan I had to do a quick Wikipedia check because I didn't think he was that far along but 10 games unbeaten now across all competitions they've broken into the European spots fifth ahead of the international break but all of that sounds great all of that sounds really positive I want to ask you about after the international break Arsenal are riding a bit of a wave at the minute everything's clicking everything's working everything's rosy but when we come back to the domestic game after the international break listen to this Liverpool away Newcastle at home, United away, Everton away. That's a difficult run. I know we're joking about so, United, but that's so one good team yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> this is horrible. That's, this. Hey, talk about I've got nowhere to go. <laughs> that is going to be a test. You know, we don't know whether yeah, you know Jay could be manager of United by then. But this is going to be the start of the season was really bad for Arteta, and he's kind of come through the wormhole, and and he's still in in his job. He's still doing well. He's still powering Arsenal up the table. But they've got a big test coming after the international break. I'm worried this is a false dawn. What do you think? Um, I don't blame you, cynicism. You've seen enough of them. Um, but I, I, what I would advise you, <laughs> from someone looking the outside in, just enjoy what you got going right now, and don't worry about the future too much. Because I think right now Arsenal are playing pretty well, and um. They, you know, they're in decent form and, and the thing is as well you're in decent form and I still think there's a little bit more to come you've been like bursting out of the blocks recently in games you know playing really aggressively and then you've not always carried it into the second half um, if you manage to put that together as well and you know start to become a 90 minute team as opposed to you know a little kind of here Apache team as it is you're still getting the results at the moment then why not um, you don't know and I mean, look, if you're looking at those four games that you've just mentioned, if you come out of those games with seven points, that's a pretty decent turn, you know, I would say, you know, you could, you know, a couple of victories there and a draw, maybe a loss. That's decent. And that's probably all you can realistically expect right now. And, and you, look, you're currently sat in fifth. It's only 11 games in the season. You're only six points off the top of the table. Obviously, you won't end up there. But still, that shows you it's not an insane gap at the moment. Um, you're getting, you know, Smith Rowe is going from strength to strength, keeps scoring at the moment. Um, you've got some good players. You definitely need to score more goals for what it's worth. And, you know, only 13 so far this season, and it's a pretty been pretty relatively you know ineffective in front of goal, just a goal here and there, nothing, never really kind of you know shining on that front. But 
enjoy it as it is you know and maybe that's what Arsenal need maybe Arsenal you know just need to all sit there and really align your expectations accordingly and just enjoy the football that at the moment is pretty good with a couple of you know some young lads there as well doing good things and I know it all sounds a bit patronising. I'm not. I'm not trying to do that. It's just, you know, you've got Sifro, Maitland, Niles, Saka. You know, some good young players playing with some experienced players, and Ben White settling in pretty decently. Tommy Asu looks all right, you know, and Ramsdale's a good keeper. It's just, it's not bad. It's not bad, and I think currently things are actually looking pretty decent for Arsenal. CJ, that's how you can be nice about Arsenal on a Sunday night. Like, I'm gonna. Can I just say my usual sort of. The one thing I got right on this podcast, probably in the last four <laughs> years, I've been coming on, was when I said after the City defeat, the games that were coming up for Arsenal were winnable, and I felt they could win the North London derby, give Arteta that breathing space and that rejuvenation. They've got some quality there, and they can kick on, and that's exactly how it's happened. So, whilst I get ninety nine percent of my things wrong, I did call that one, um, and you know, it's it's becoming it's it's showing as well, isn't it? You're doing well. Yeah, Jay, listen, when you're right, you're right. Right, let's move on. Uh, Leeds United won, Leicester City won. Jay, we talked about West Ham before and obviously them balancing Europa League and the Premier League. Leicester are the other Premier League team in the Europa League this season, but it's not going nearly as well for them as it is for the Hammers. They've only won once after a Europa League game so far this season and they just can't seem to get the consistency together. At the end of October, I remember doing the podcast, they beat United, sorry, won away in Moscow and then they beat and then they beat Brentford. You look at that, they then went to Brighton, uh, sorry, played Brighton at home, them in the Carabao Cup and a corner had seemed to be turned I know that sounds a bit cliched and then you come off the back of that they lose to Arsenal draw against Moscow in midweek and then today draw against Leeds Leicester are better than this Leicester are the team that we saw against Manchester United but they just can't seem to string it together No and I thought this season they would I thought that you know the FA Cup win and Rodgers been there a little while and and they sort of you know the, the main issue with Leicester seems to be towards the end of the season in the league where they run out of steam a little bit and if they get one or two injuries, it really seems to, to affect them. But I just felt like this could be a season where we could see a little bit more from them. And maybe out of all the teams that, that weren't in that so-called top four, or, or the top four from last season, I should say, those are the ones more, more, most likely to, to gate-crush it. And it's just not really happened, has it? And they've probably looked as bad as they've ever looked under, under Rodgers, which is surprising because they've still got a lot of good players there. Um, you know, you look at the likes of... I look at their midfield, some of their midfielders like Tielemans and Ndidi. The, the the quality, um, but yeah, it has been it has been a bit of a poor sort of spell, and a, you know a, a draw away at Leeds isn't the end of the world, especially when you, you go one goal down, but it just seems to be a bit meh, doesn't it, at, at Leicester at the minute? It's just like they've not quite got going, and and everything's not really the way it should be because they've always had a little bit of a positive air, haven't they, Leicester of overachieving and and, and sort of especially you know they play good football, they got a great team spirit. I know it sounds daft, but when you see the players giving interviews, they always seem like, you know, they're all on the same page, they're all happy, they're all buying into what Rodgers is doing, they've got a great sort of relationship with the owners and stuff as well after everything that's happened with them, they've, you know, winning the FA Cup, you look at it, this has been like almost a golden era in Leicester City's history of Premier League, then a few years later the FA Cup as well, but this season, it's just not happened at all, and what are they now, the 12th is it, sorry, um, which... I don't think anyone expected that after 11 games before the season started. But they have got quality. They have got a manager with loads of experience. And we say this all the time, don't we, about Brendan Rodgers? I know I do when I'm on here. He does have this, he has had this reputation or this air of being a bit David Brentish with the old documentary that they did on Liverpool and, and all that sort of stuff. A big picture. Would you, and sorry, Jay, would you, just to, just to cut across, would Go you on. take him at United? I wouldn't, personally. I wouldn't. I think that there's this argument, right? There's two arguments that you hear from all United fans when it comes to, to a manager. Is he better than Ole? Brendan Rodgers is, is, you know, undoubtedly probably a better coach than, than undoubtedly probably doesn't make any sense. Is a better coach than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, sorry. Yeah, but it has to be more than just that. It has to be, can he come in, handle all these egos, get us flying up that table, and eventually, whether it's this season or next, challenge the likes of Tuchel, Klopp and Pep. I don't quite think Brendan Rodgers is the man. Maybe he might be someone they look at short-term, but he doesn't seem like a short-term manager. I might be wrong. And also, I'm not too enamoured of having someone who got sacked off Liverpool, to be honest with you. But you don't know. He might be the United manager by the time his podcast goes out, such as the state of my club. So, personally, not for me, but stranger things have happened. Yeah, it's just not really happening for Leicester this season. And, and yeah, it is a strange one. Maybe they can sort of recuperate during the... Trans uh, the international break and come back and like I said some of the talented players they've got there sort of start using them a bit better and, and moving up the table because 
you know, 15 points so far isn't good enough. Uh, speaking of managers who are moving on, Daniel Fark, Steve, if ever you wanted an example of why you should never, ever try harder in work, it's Daniel Fark. First win of the season. Honestly, Norwich get Norwich have been dreadful so far this season. They get their first win of the season, two win, two one. Sorry, away at Brentford. Huge amounts of positivity, celebrating with the uh, with the away fans. Daniel Fark's delighted, grabbing the players in, giving them big hugs, and then he gets sacked. Now, obviously, there's there's a lot of narrative around this, but has this decision been made before the game? Is this result irrelevant in in Daniel Fark's future at Norwich? Yeah. We're not, let's be honest. We we kind of know he was obviously going to get sacked before, and and I know it sounds really really harsh, but you kind of can't really blame him either. You know, I mean, I mean, it wasn't a comprehensive victory against Brentford. I know they beat them and beating wins everything, but that was you know. Brentford are in terrible form at the moment. After they they're in poor form, and Brentford still had the majority of that game, and it was kind of a, a you know a result built on counter-attacking football. So it was Norwich weren't exactly that impressive in the game either. And I think we they've been abysmal. They've been genuinely abysmal. Um, and you'd have to be a very brave person to presume that this is now the upstart of Norwich's form, and this is the change in tide. And I'd look. He seems like a good guy, Daniel Varg, and Norwich plays some nice football occasionally, but they've been really, really, really bad. And um, I do not blame whatsoever the owners personally for wanting to change. It's come at a bad time, admittedly. You know, like at least, you know, at least have the balls to do it before the game if you're going to do that. But after after a victory, it's it's it is tack it is you know, it is tacky. It is a little bit classless. But um, I can't really say they're wrong overall. I mean. Maybe give them halfway through the season, but they 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 don't want to be a yo-yo club anymore, do they? They want to stay up, you know. It costs them too much to do that, and um, I understand it. I don't particularly like how they've done it. I understand it, but yeah, poor guy. Uh, moving on, another manager that's going to be in the job centre this week is Dean Smith. Jay, five defeats in a row for Aston Villa. There, there did seem to be a bit of a writings on the wall moment in his post game press conference. They lost 1 0 away at Southampton on Friday night. Villa waited a little bit longer than Norwich did with uh, Daniel Fark in terms of results to, to sacking announcement. But this is a different situation to Norwich. Norwich, has, as Steve's been quite honest about, are dreadful. They want to fight and stay in the Premier League, but all the signs point that that's no, not going to be the case. Dean Smith overall has done a good job with Aston Villa. He's got them back into the Premier League. They've obviously got themselves into the final of the League Cup in 2020 where they lost to City. Losing Grealish this summer is enormous. I know obviously they got the fee for him and they've tried to reinvest that elsewhere in the squad. Have Villa maybe jumped a little bit too early on this? Yes, they're in a bad run of form, but Dean Smith's been a pretty solid character for them. And now they're kind of going into the wilderness of having to bring in a manager that's going to keep them in the Premier League. I mean, it does seem a little bit like that, doesn't it, from the outside looking in, because I don't know a lot about Aston Villa. I've only seen them a few times this season. Um, but when you look at the run, the run of results they have, they've had, it's obviously something's not working. And they have ambition, Villa. And I know you might say, well, they sold Jack Grealish, but that, that was almost like they had to do that. And if you look at the video, I think was one of the directors put out, which I thought was actually quite good, where they explained the thinking of, you know, Grealish is gone, we've got a big fee for him, we're going to reinvest that in the squad, and, and they've brought in some players, brought in some quality players as well, they brought in, like I said, Leon Bailey and Buendia and one or two others. So it looks like they are an ambitious club. They do spend money, don't they, Villa? I know they're not like, it's not, they're not like plucky little Villa who, you know, take players from non-league or whatever. They spend money and they spend some big fees on players, which shows you they've got a more ambition more than just staying in the Premier League. And you think about that, and when you think about the players they brought in, the fact that they got 100 million for, for Grealish and invest, reinvested a lot of that in, in the team, then sort of plummeting towards the relegation zone and only being two points above it probably it's isn't good enough. Million, mate, in the last three years. That's, that's, that's what I mean. It's a lot of money, isn't it? Yeah, exa exactly. That's like a team that's got, you know, at least Europa League ambitions there. So to be sat in 16th with a manager who's lost, what is it? Is it six on the spin or whatever? Five, sorry, sorry, I'm doing him a disservice then. Five on the spin. Then it doesn't surprise me too much that he's, he's gone. Because like you say, there were murmurings, weren't there, a couple of weeks ago? And then you carry on losing. Then those murmurings aren't going to go away. And they're probably looking at it going, we're not seeing anything here from this manager or this team that shows us they're going to, we're going to turn it around. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's... If you're going to be sort of pro-Dean Smith, you go, he's maybe done enough over the last few years to... to, to, to for them to give him a bit more time. But, as Steve said there, you know, we spent a lot of money... They've got ambitions higher than just surviving in the Premier League, so it's not that shocking really, is it? Uh, looking across to the other two games this weekend, Crystal Palace 2, Wolves nil. That's six games unbeaten for Patrick Vieira's D. Obviously, you saw them in close quarters last weekend, winning away at Manchester City and now back-to-back -back two... 
Unfortunately, indeed. Back-to-back 2-0 wins. Wolves have had a bit of a, a positive turn in recent weeks, but Crystal Palace just looked to have a bit of an edge on them. And the two key players against City last week were Conor Gallagher and Wolf Sahar linking up for the two goals. And they did exactly the same again yesterday. Conor Gallagher getting himself a goal. The Palace fans love him. We know that Wolf Sahar is, is an icon at, at Crystal Palace and doesn't seem like he is now going to move on, despite the fact he's been pushing for it for the last 12 or 18 months. With that sort of link-up, with two players that can create chances and score goals, that demonstrates just how much Vieira has changed them from what they were under Roy Hodgson. Oh, they're a different side, different side entirely. They were always kind of stoic and tough and defensive and all that kind of stuff. And now they're obviously, you know, they rode like a little bit against City in terms of they sat defending, you know, they played in the counter attack, which I don't blame them for doing for what it's worth. But they, you know, um, they're hard working, they're organised, and they look kind of confident, young, and fresh, which is never really the words you'd put on a Roy Hodgson side. And, and you know, Conor Gallagher, and he's, he's, he's on love with Chelsea, right? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, they, if they can tie him down, that would be sensational. And you've got to remember as well, probably their best player last season. Eze is not even in the team at the moment, you know, due to injury. And, like, um, it looks good. I, I really like Vieira. I mean, he was obviously at City and he managed City's under-23s for a bit. Um, he just seems a top bloke with, obviously, a, a, a style that he's trying to, um, you know, in, uh, basically get Crystal Palace to play. And it's working it's starting to work slowly and they start you know a couple of good results here and um palace fans seem really happy at the moment you know they the the new the new players are doing really well they've got a manager who's, who plays good football and uh yeah it's a good time to be a crystal palace fan um conigal is fantastic zaha's fantastic as we know this and then they've got lots of you know good players who are going to work on like MacArthur and people like that and kuyate and so on and uh obviously yeah mark gay as well is really underrated and yeah another is he another one over chelsea was he actually no no he's permanent now He's permanent now. Yeah, another fantastic player there. It's good. And Anderson was a smart signing as well, actually. You know, uh, underrated last season at times, Anderson. Uh, the, yeah, it's a, it's a good time to be Villa fan, man. They're, they're a good side. And I begrudgingly admitted that they deserve something last week, you know, against Man City. And um, the Palace fans should be very happy. Uh, final game of the weekend, Brighton won, Newcastle won. Jay, you were sat at Old Trafford losing to City this weekend, probably wishing you were anywhere else. Eddie Howe was sat in the director's box at the Amex, maybe having a similar feeling. He was kind of cocooned in next to Amanda Staveley, trying to look really intense because the cameras were on him for pretty much the whole 90 minutes. Obviously, it's a difficult situation with Newcastle, but based on Norwich getting that win and then sacking Fark, they've now got this really unenviable record of being the only team not to win in the Premier League. The Howe deal's not completely done. There's, there's talk that there's maybe a little bit of stalling over some of his coaching team that are not getting the contracts they want. It looks as if it probably will get over the line, but based on the three games that Graham Jones has been in charge, he's got a massive job on his hands. Yeah, he, he has, and you know my thoughts on Eddie Howe. I'm not his biggest fan, I think he's OK. Um, but with a bit of money, who knows, with, with, with the Newcastle squad he's got, maybe he can get him out of this mess. They were a bit unlucky, weren't they, Newcastle? Because I watched the, the, the end of this game, uh, and it was Wilson sort of went through on Goldeney and Sanchez took him out and then <laughs> got a red card. But it was like, I think was it the 90th minute or whatever it was, um, when, I think it was the 92nd minute when he got the red card. And I don't even think, I think was it Dunk who went in goal? I don't even think they had a shot on target after. And they had, sorry, they had, they had a corner. Big... Sorry, they had a free kick yeah. from the foul and they had two corners with Dunk in goal and they took them all yeah. short. And... <laughs> no, I couldn't believe the free kick. You think just hit it, yeah, towards at the goal. Just make him force him because you know what happens when defenders go in goal. Sometimes they just flap the at things, thing don't they? Let's be honest. It's the best. Thing Sorry, it's the best. Thing <laughs> the world, let's be honest. Yeah, it's, it's quality. I still think about John O'Shea against Tottenham <laughs> at least once a day. Um, but yeah, they just didn't. They were just playing with the ball. And you think as a Newcastle fan, Lewis, du- Lewis Dunk is no John O'Shea. Come on. Yeah, that's, that's very, very true. And I was just thinking, what are they doing? Um, so, yeah, Eddie Howe's got his work cut out and, like you say, other, other results, um, other teams getting wins and stuff. It's not going to be easy for him. But they've got that sort of promise of the untold riches if they can manage to stay up as well, which might be a bit of a motivating factor. And I can't see the wages of Eddie Howe's coaching staff being too much of an issue for the Newcastle owners. So I suspect he's going to be in place, like you said. His team will come in. Um, and they'll probably, you know, bring in one or two players in in January and, and get themselves out of trouble. And then who knows how long it's, it is before we see Newcastle at the, near the top of the table. 
Yeah, big job on uh, Eddie Howe's hands. We're obviously waiting for that to be confirmed, but we expect it to be done and dusted in the next few days. Jay, Steve, we're going to call it there for the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. As always, Jay, I know it's been a difficult weekend, but thanks to you both for coming on. Do you know what? I'm going to, you know, thanks to Maka there. He's, he's like, like Pep after the game against United. <laughs> he's, always, he's always gone easy on me a little bit, and so I respect that. Uh, and uh, who knows maybe one day I'll get the chance to return the favour yeah, maybe got easy to patronise thing to do actually look at it that way <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah that's even worse uh, and he's like just be cruel to me man don't don't cheat me <laughs> yeah. on a child hit me man give it to me <laughs> um, no I've enjoyed that lads thanks for having me on cheers great stuff great stuff indeed small mercies Jay just be grateful that Ant McGinley's not on he's off the rotor for a few weeks because he would be sticking, the, know what, uh, sticking right? the knife in definitely the last time I was on with Ant McGinley it was quality because he was bragging about how he'd signed Ronaldo and it went out oh. hours after we'd been converted. He was giving it me about how oh, we've signed your goat and all this. And then by the time it went oh, out, right. he'd announced he'd signing for us. So that was a, a funny one with him. But yeah, he would have been a lot worse because he's a nightmare. <laughs> I've had to mute him on Twitter. <laughs> Premier League football moves at the speed of light. Yep, and we are going to call it there for the show. Uh, obviously, tomorrow, Niall, Jim, Marley, the rest of the team will be back. They'll be digging into some of the big talking points from the weekend, the Smith and Fark dismissals, Eddie Howe's job at Newcastle, and obviously building up to a big week of international football, the final round of qualifiers for the 2022 World Cup. Don't forget to check out that podcast, and we'll speak to you again very, very soon. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.